You are listening to the Carnegie Tsinghua China in the World podcast, a series of conversations with Chinese and international experts on China's foreign policy, international role, and China's relations with the world. Brought to you from the Carnegie Tsinghua Center for Global Policy, located in Beijing. I'm Tong Zhao, an associate in Carnegie's nuclear policy program based at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center for Global Policy in Beijing. Today, I'm standing in for Paul Hanley to host the podcast. I'm very delighted to be joined by two very senior nuclear policy experts. First, we have Professor Li Ning. Professor Li Ning is a distinguished professor and the dean of School of Energy Research at Xiamen University. He's also director of Asia Development for Terra Power, a company funded by Bill Gates to develop innovative nuclear energy technologies. And we also are very pleased to have Dr. Mark Hibbs. He is a Berlin-based senior associate in Carnegie's nuclear policy program. So thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today on the margins of Carnegie's nuclear energy workshop in Beijing. For now, and uh, probably for many years to come, China's nuclear energy development program is the most ambitious one in the world. Today, China's new nuclear power plant's construction accounts for about half of global total, both in terms of unit number and electricity generation capacity. It is predicted that its nuclear capacity will reach 70 to 80 gigawatts by 2020 and may expand well beyond 100 gigawatt by 2030. This is despite the Fukushima nuclear accident in Japan in 2011, after which many countries have substantially cut down their planned nuclear development. Some people are wondering, how China is going to achieve such a fast growth of nuclear energy and at the same time keep its nuclear energy program safe, secure, and sustainable. Earlier this year, three years after Fukushima, China sent signals that it will soon resume granting permit for new nuclear plants in coastal regions. In comparison, a more controversial and intensely debated issue is whether China should resume nuclear plant approval and construction in inland provinces. Most nuclear plants depend heavily on sufficient water supplies, but China's inland regions are famous for the lack of water resources, and the situation may get even worse if climate change brings about even less natural precipitation in the future. This might create safety concerns for inland nuclear plants. As expert on nuclear energy, what are your thoughts on whether or under what conditions should China move ahead with building nuclear plants in the inland? Dr. Hibbs, do you want to go first? It's not unexpected that the Chinese public is concerned about 
moving nuclear plant construction to inland sites in the aftermath of the Fukushima accident. This is because the accident in Japan made us very aware that an essential part of the safety of a nuclear installation is its um, sufficiency of logistics, information, well-developed site planning, and excellent preparation and availability in the case of an emergency. I think it's possible that some Chinese citizens are concerned that the farther away from well-developed infrastructural areas in China nuclear plant might be located, the more vulnerable it might be to disruption in the case of a severe accident event. Likewise, uh, people are naturally concerned about water management because this was a very essential aspect of the accident in Fukushima. In Fukushima, what happened was is that water uh, management was not very well organized and maintained, leading to contaminations which could have been avoided had the Japanese industry and government been better prepared. So it's natural that Chinese public would be concerned about this, and it's also then logical that because of a legacy of water shortage issues in inland sites that this would be concerned. That being said, it should also be pointed out that any nuclear plant project that would be built in China would have to be built in a way where the water management and other logistics concerns are addressed on a plant-specific basis. That's the responsible uh, responsibility of the uh, regulator, uh, the NNSA in China, together working together with uh, the vendor and the operating company to ensure that in developing the site plan and the operating plan for the reactor, that they have covered all of the issues that arise because of the specific location of the site. In other parts of the world, these uh, issues can be addressed. There is a well-developed um, body of knowledge uh, concerning both the uh, roadmap for addressing such problems as well as for the technical parameters and requirements. So I'm confident that if the Chinese authorities are very well informed and they work with their international counterparts with great expertise in this area, and that there is collaboration between safety regulator in China and the companies that will be responsible for building the reactor, that this problem could be overcome. Okay, yeah, I agree with you, Mark. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thing about nuclear uh, safety, you know, whether it's inland or whether it's coastal, should all be the same. You know, it's not because it's inland it should be any less safe. Or because it's coastal, we can't allow more lapses of anything. But we do need to consider uh, the site and environmental sort of impact of the, uh, the safety of the plants uh, and also potential consequences of severe accidents taking place. Now, after Fukushima, lots of the people sort of realized that when the reactor sort of goes into a severe accident, it has the potential to release large amount of radioactivity. Uh, and contaminate the environment and, and, and public and not responded very well. 
So it's a, it's a valid concern for people to, to question about these. Uh, however, some of these uh, questions were not because uh, were because lack of sufficient public information out there explaining what these you know what the conditions and what the what the accident consequences and what the safety and emergency responses uh, measures can be put in place to prevent that from happening. And so these issues. I think that on the one hand would require expert panels, new participants and, and regulators to figure out specifically for those sites uh, uh, these, these issues and they also needed a little bit more public uh, education and, and information sort of a, a process informing the public of these. Uh, but I also ask that some of the the public and opponents sets uh, to the inland uh, nuclear power plants to take a somewhat more measured approach to uh, to voicing their uh, opinions uh, on these. Uh, you know, if if we could come together to agree to some mutual, transparent public sort of protocol and processes to exchange ideas, to debate about these, and also put nuclear in this sort of a, in a broader uh, picture of looking at other sources of energy supply and environmental issues, I believe we can come to a reasonable agreement. You know, if indeed there were better solutions out there, and a nuclear is a is a is a worse solution, you know, I'm for not going inland. But you know, as we all know, in many parts of the China. The bigger risk is not this, you know, nuclear uh, safety risk. It's uh, the much broader issues. So if we are blind to those problems and singularly focus on the nuclear safety problem, I think we would, in the end, it would be a lose lose for everybody involved. Professor Li Ning, uh, you touched upon the issue of the role of nuclear energy relative to other sources of nuclear energy in China. And some people predict that nuclear power will constitute as much as 15% of China's total electricity generation by 2040. I guess my question is, does nuclear energy have the potential to fundamentally improve the structure of China's overall energy generation and make it much greener. Given the serious environmental problems in China today, many people hope that nuclear energy will become the solution for mitigating China's air pollution. But realistically speaking, are people overly optimistic about what nuclear power can achieve in China? What role can nuclear energy play in addressing China's environmental problems? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, you know, nuclear power right now only generates about 2% of the uh, total electricity in China. I mean, it's clearly, right now, it's a clean and low carbon uh, energy resource, but it's not enough. It, it's too small. And, you know, if, if we cannot find a way to expand it 
uh, more substantially over the current state balancing scale and speed, I think the effect, the potential will not be realized. However, I think we should not overlook the possibility of technological advances and innovation in this field, both from the technology sides and also from the business sides that, uh, that uh, can have a much bigger impact. You know, I've been working in this field for a long time, and I've seen uh, in, the, in the past several years, and especially since Fukushima, there have been a lot of people, uh, both inside the nuclear power, the existing nuclear industry, and also those who are sort of peripherally related, who are interested in uh, clean and low carbon energy, are beginning to coming in to try to solve the challenging problem in this area. And so there's quite a bit of a sort of innovative drive, uh, interest uh, surrounding the events uh, nuclear power technologies. And I, you know, on this I have to say I'm optimistic. I think uh, I've been looking at many other energy technologies as well. Some of them are growing, but lots of other technologies have problems much worse than the nucleus problem. So I think given these kind of a landscape and, and the timing, I'm, I'm looking sort of within the next five to ten years to some substantial breakthrough that could lead to that uh, bigger expansion. And I think, you know, I'm looking toward actually to be more than 15% in the 2040 time frame. Uh, meaning I would only add that because of the uh, uncertainties that exist in terms of what technology options China and other countries will have in the next 30 to 40 years, it's very difficult for us to predict exactly how big China's nuclear program will be. It will require China to build out a infrastructure, including human resources and materials and equipment, know-how, international connections, finances, to be able to expand the nuclear program in the way that you described. That being said, it should be pointed out that in previous decades, other countries were capable of substantially building out their nuclear programs over a period of a few decades. That happened in the United States in the 1960s and 70s, and the building actually continued into the 80s and the 90s. China faces as a challenge because of the size of its population. The fact that Chinese people are getting richer than they have been in the past, they're going to have more ambitious plans for using energy. China will be in a position to build up its nuclear program through an unprecedented level compared to other countries in the past. And this is one of the reasons that there are some anxieties and some uncertainties because the nuclear program with as many as 300 reactors or more has never been uh, realized anywhere in the world. But you know, China is in, in a very, very interesting situation right now where it's able to take advantage of technological changes which are happening at a fast rate, including the nuclear area, which as uh, you have said, uh, Li Ning, uh, there will 
be breakthroughs anticipated in coming decades, which could have m major changes in China's nuclear choices and uh, result in a larger nuclear program than perhaps many people anticipated. Yeah, let me uh, follow up on that. Is uh, you know, China in a way uh, has, I think, two sort of advantages that's somewhat unique to it. One is uh, it has a latecomer advantage. You know, a lot of the problem that happened in the U.S., European, you know, uh, Japanese programs, there are lots of lessons learned that the, the Chinese industry can pick up upon. And the technologies that the Chinese industry are using and the, the, the reactor designs are being built are 40, 50 years more advanced from that what was back then. And second is, uh, you know, nuclear, because nuclear is a very large uh, sort of a system and industry, etc. So the scale factor is more important than lots of other industries. And that happens that China has a natural scale that can, can support that, not, you know, not just the population, but the industry in power generation equipment and, and the plant uh, manufacturing and the operation, because China these days makes and sells over 100 gigawatts of power generation capacity. And some of them are the world's most advanced supercritical, ultra-supercritical coal-fired power plants. And so the technological and manufacturing basis are far more advanced than when the world was experiencing the first nuclear power expansion. So that gave me some confidence. I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but these are the things that lots of people looking at China do not quite realize that such advantages do exist. So both of you agree that China has the capacity to significantly expand its nuclear power in the near future. But another issue is what's the public acceptance of nuclear energy in China? I know, Mark, you are from Germany, where the public sentiment is very much anti-nuclear. And this attitude has led the German government to make the decision to completely phase out nuclear energy. I guess my question is, what's the situation in China? How much does the Chinese general public care about nuclear energy and accept nuclear energy as an important source of clean energy supply? You know, there have been cases in China where construction of nuclear projects was obstructed by protests of local residents. How much is public attitude going to affect nuclear power decision-making in the future? What can be done by the government to communicate with and consult the public more effectively? Germany is a very rich country, and people over many decades in Germany Acquired a very high standard of living. One of the results of that in the public policy area concerning energy generation is that people in Germany seem to feel that they don't need their nuclear reactors um, because they can use other sources and they can afford to pay higher prices for sources of energy which they themselves do not generate. Um, what I mean by that is that in this particular case, Germany is a country which is in the middle of the European Union, and it's embedded in a very dense infrastructure with a lot of generating capacity in many areas. And it's widely anticipated that Germany 
will, following the nuclear phase-out, end up importing large amounts of nuclear electricity from nuclear power stations, which are built uh, just outside of its borders. They will probably be importing that electricity from Switzerland, from France, from Scandinavia, perhaps from Poland, the Netherlands, Czechoslovakia. So uh, the German people are in a fortunate position to be able to essentially export their risk concerns because they can rely on outsiders to supply their clean energy. At the same time, what we're seeing in the near term is that as a result of the decision in Germany to phase out its nuclear program, German emissions and generation of coal-fired plants are increasing. This is something that eventually will be a concern to the German public and the government because Germany has committed itself to substantially reducing its carbon emissions in the future. Regarding China, the Chinese situation is totally different. When you step on an aircraft in Berlin and you, you leave it, you leave a country where the air is very clean. You arrive in Beijing and you look outside the window where, where we are right now. I'm looking in the direction of the fragrant hills, which uh, it, during a day of blue weather you can see brilliantly outside of the window. And today they're totally obscured by overcast uh, air clouds that are covered with dense amounts of coal emissions, heavy metals, uh, socks, knocks, other things. Um, so the Chinese people know this, and when you get off the plane in Beijing, you see that the situation is very different. The Chinese people are deeply aware of that. They know that during the period of time in the last two or three decades, as they have been catching up and industrializing, that they're breathing progressively dirtier air. They want that situation to be rectified. The Chinese government is deeply aware that that dissatisfaction could become potentially politically mobilized in the future, and they want to make sure that the Chinese population is breathing uh, clean air and, and is a healthier uh, future. So to many Chinese people, nuclear energy is part of their solution. It's part of their solution in a sense because compared to the Germans, the Chinese have in a sense, less of a choice. They're generating a huge amount of their electricity with coal. Um, Germany, likewise, is doing this. They're committed to decarbonizing their economy, but as I said, when they phase out the nuclear program, the result has been an increase in coal-fired generation. The object of the nuclear uh, expansion program in China, one of the key object, uh, objectives, is to uh, dramatically reduce the amount of coal which is fired to produce energy. So that's the very simplified equation that the Chinese people face. They see nuclear energy generation as a way of substituting for coal, which is producing the dirty air and the breathing. And uh, that is not the way most Europeans see the situation because they're living in a totally different environment where these problems have been externalized to a certain yeah, Mark. You know, after Fukushima, when I was, you know, for quite a while, I was asked, you know, all sorts of questions, and there was, it, it looks like the the public sentiment is turning negative toward nuclear for a while, and there was, you know, there was some hysteria 
uh, as well. But uh, just very few years afterwards, you know, like Mark said, the problem of environmental pollution, you know, dirty air, etc., is coming up. It's such an overwhelming, uh, you know, it's you see it and experience, and you can't escape from it. You know, before some of the pollution, you may be able to get away from it, but now you can. And so that, you know, I've been getting a lot of comments uh, of people asking, you know, can can nuclear help uh, solve this? And uh, you know, we we should do nuclear. I think. In some of the uh, sort of uh, technical communities, a very high share of the uh, people who are not nuclear technologists and nuclear proponents are asking for uh, starting nuclear power. On the general public side, I think China, uh, unlike uh, German who experienced like the Chernobyl fallout and stuff, and some of the memory is still quite fresh. Chinese people have not uh, generally experienced the nuclear uh, radiation uh, accidents or disaster on a large scale. So there is no deeply rooted fear about nuclear uh, as in some other countries. And so while there's uh, public uh, sentiment, uh, you know, like uh, obstructing some of the uh, uh, power plant constructions, it hasn't risen to that level. Uh, generally, if you look at China, China's society, sort of social development, you know, it, it passed through the first or second wave of industrialization, and I think many parts of China is the, in the second phase or the later stage of the second industrialization and and new urbanization, etc. So, you know, these uh, the the society has not gone to a point of where you know power and clean air is an it's, a, it's already a basic uh, sort of a condition. Uh, so uh, the, the drive to have more uh, power and, and also to, to get clean air exists at the same time, as opposed to some other places. You can have, <laughs> you just want to clean air, clean environment, because there's sufficient power and standard of living already. So with that kind of a drive, uh, I think the, uh, the the broader society in China is not going to be strongly against nuclear. Uh, they may not be strongly in favor either because nuclear is still a pretty small sector right now. But I don't see it become a very strong anti-nuclear kind of on a very broad basis uh, in China. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been a very interesting and informative discussion. Thank you both Professor Leaning and Dr. Mark Hibbs for spending time with us today. That's it for this edition of the Carnegie Tsinghua China in the World podcast. If you'd like to read or learn more about China's nuclear energy development plans, you can find more articles, events, and podcasts on our website at www.carnegietsinghua.org. I encourage you to visit and see the work of all our scholars at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time.